0: Today, we hear a story from the life of the prophet Jonah, experiencing the miracle and brutality of God's mercy. Let us listen for how the story informs our lives today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God's mind was changed about the calamity, That God had planned to bring upon them. And God did not do it. The wisdom of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: What a nice story. Crisis averted, right? There's more to it. The very next verse in chapter 4 tells us that Jonah was angry with God for having spared Nineveh. He complains, God, this is exactly why I ran away when you first told me to go to Nineveh. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate and merciful and full of love and would end up acquitting this deplorable city the minute they pled guilty. Now, it's not often that we hear people complaining about God's love and mercy, though I'm not too surprised, to be honest. After all, how many of us have wondered this parallel question to why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do the bad guys get away with it? And Nineveh was right up there with the bad guys, at least according to the Bible. Speaking for God, the prophet Nahum uh, warns Nineveh woe to the city guilty of bloodshed she is full of lies she is filled with plunder she has hoarded her spoil violence disregard for truth greed thievery deceit sounds pretty bad god basically saying to jonah go be kind to all the wrong people so what happens when god's widest mercy butts up against our human notions of justice. Inaugural poet Amanda Gorman speaks to this tension when she recites how the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice. If God's will is mercy, how are we to be expected to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven if it means the bad guys get off scot-free? When God's judgment awakens the Ninevans, Ninevans, When God's judgment awakens the Ninevins to their wrongdoing, to the seriousness of their wrongdoing, or perhaps less charitably, when the citizens of Nineveh realize that their actions are actually going to have consequences, they repent. And not just repent, but publicly repent. They perform penance. They fast and put on sackcloth, which is a particularly public act of penance. I can imagine Jonah thinking, oh please, they have access to the law. They know the 10 commandments. They could have followed them this whole time, but they didn't. Nor did they speak out against their neighbors when they broke God's law. How are we supposed to believe that they're being sincere now? What if they're just saying they're sorry, Just..." Performing repentance to avoid the consequences. Where's the accountability? Where's the justice? Now, God's mercy can feel anticlimactic. It can feel brutal. It can feel like an insult to those of us who feel like we don't need mercy because we've never done anything that bad. It can feel like an abandonment like tending to the wolf amongst the wounded sheep. But God's justice isn't human justice. Ours is an approximation, the best we can do with all of our human ways and foibles. Our norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice, Gorman says. We call our system of law enforcement judgment and punishment, the justice system. But it's often justice in name only, preoccupied more with just desserts than just peace. And we're only human. We've yet to figure out as a society how to effectively keep one another safe in the face of all of our sins without dehumanizing one another in the process. This is nothing new and isn't anything that will get sorted out in a sermon. As we humans figure out what it means to hold ourselves and one another accountable in ways that are just, we rely on God's mercy. We rely on God's mercy, even as we resent it. God's mercy that, that spares even the most deplorable city, offering an infuriatingly patient and eternal grace that makes us want to tear our hair out or better yet to spend the rest of our days inside a whale. Yesterday, Pope Francis offered this reminder. He said that after the last supper, Jesus prayed for his own, that they may all be one. This means that we are not able to achieve unity with our own strength. Above all, unity is a gift. It is a grace to be requested through prayer. Just like unity, we are not able to enact God's kind of mercy with our own strength alone. We need God's help. As humans, we often can be too preoccupied with the optics of just desserts, of the bad guys getting as much as they gave and being publicly called out and shamed to be able to fully embrace and mete out God's kind of brutally wide mercy when faced with a soul in seeming repentance. We too often are seduced by calling out that we miss God showing us how to call in. Our earthly efforts at accountability are important. We must stand up against oppression, bigotry, lies, and violence. I do not believe that unity is founded on ignoring harm that has been done, that only perpetuates it. I do believe that unity requires all parties to be at the table. And none of the people of Nineveh could make it to the place that is set for them at the table of welcome if their city was destroyed by fiery divine wrath. Perhaps it is God's kind of mercy that lays the foundation for the real repentance, learning, and healing. For as the poet also said, If we merge mercy with might, and might with right, then love becomes our legacy, and change our children's birthright. Amen.